So uh, we want to we close our series out on thankfulness. And I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving day. And we certainly did with our family. And, and uh, I hope you had the same. And um, uh, I hope you uh, remembered that Thanksgiving is not a holiday, but a lifestyle. So since the title of this sermon series is Thankful, play on words, uh, I have thought a lot about fullness. Uh, we all know what it's like to be full of a feeling, whether it's uh, positive or negative. And when you're full of a feeling, it controls you. And it's uh, hard for you to think of anything else or feel anything else when you're full of something. Uh, I think it's proper to think of fullness in terms of our vehicles that we drive, our, our fuel tank, or if you're driving an EV, EV it was uh, having a full electrical charge. Uh, it's common for people to think of the Holy Spirit as, as a substance that fuels us, even though we know he's a person uh, or, has, or, or a personage. So fullness is about control and influence, and the, the fuel image is a, a good metaphor for us today. Uh, I had, a, I had, a, I had a, a couple of years when I kept forgetting to fill my gas tank. And I ran out of gas like several times. Over a two or three year period, I kept running out of gas. And uh, I mean, I, I got so tired of waiting on the side of the road for AAA to show up and, you know, an hour, 45 minutes, hour, hour and a half, finally to show up. And, and, and I, I think I finally learned my, I think I finally got it through. You know, they couldn't do any more than they do to let you know you're low on fuel. I mean, back in the old days, you had to, See the E. Now the lights come on and all this stuff. So it's really bad when you can't remember to fill your tank. But but you know, uh, you know when you're on a trip and you get down uh, like below a quarter of a tank, you you don't enjoy the trip as much because you're 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 hoping an exit comes up for a gas station, especially if you're out west somewhere. You're hoping an exit comes up for a gas station. The fuel is necessary, and the right kind of fuel is necessary to take you where you want to go, uh, cause you to see what you really want to see, engage with what you really want to engage with, and be with who you want to be with. Fuel is necessary, and the right kind of fuel. You can't just put anything in your gas tank. You can't just put a gallon of milk in your gas tank and go, well, that, it's full, you know? And... I want to propose to you today that thankfulness and praise and gratitude is the fuel that will take you where you want to go in life. The psalmist says, by the way, I want to say this, this is important. I, I think PMA, positive mental attitude, teaching is good. I mean, it's fantastic. It's better than, it's better than NMA negative mental attitudes. So attitude, frame of mind, all those things, self-talk, all those things are really good, really important. I'm not minimizing them at all when I say what I'm about to say. But this is more than a series on, on mental attitude. This is more than a series on self-talk. This is more than a PMA. This is more than that. This is, a, this is really hardcore spiritual warfare. You are fighting the forces of hell, when you, when you decide, I'm going to be a person of gratitude and praise, and you are tapping into the, to the core truth in the universe, 
And that is the kingdom of God will prevail over the kingdom of man. You're tapping into that when you decide that you're going to be thankful. Psalmist David gives us a, a couple of verses. And um, I, I'm going to go to the 23rd Psalm. I, I, don't, I won't read the whole Psalm, but we're going to refer to all of it. And I think most of you are somewhat familiar with the 23rd Psalm. It says in um, Psalms chapter 9, this is, I, 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 I ran across this in my daily Bible reading this past week, just kind of accidental, so to speak. And I, 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 I have a folder in my notes that I put passages of Scripture stand out to me. And I, I put in there, I think this is my favorite psalm, Psalms 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart. All my heart. That's a heart that's full of thanks. With all my heart. And I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises in your name. Then let's go over to verse 5 of the 23rd Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's, that's talking about fullness. He is full of something joyful. He's full of something grateful. And I think hopefully by the end of the message, I'm, I'm able to show you that this gratitude came with living a real life in a real world, not some fantasy world of no problems, no stress. So, number one, Psalms 23 demonstrates the power of the rightfulness. The power of the rightfulness. He says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Now, that word thanks is not in there. The word praise is not in the word. The word gratitude is not in there. But what statement could be more full of thankfulness I mean, full thankfulness, then I have all that I need. I thought about that all week. I said, you know, do I ever have a moment in my life when I actually stop and say, that's enough, God, I have all that I need? That is a rare, that's a rare state of being. That's rare, isn't it? I wonder if any of you in this room have maybe ever in your life stopped and said, I'm all set. I have all that I need. I'm good. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I don't think that's normal. I don't think that's normal. Most of us, maybe 100%, are going, well, things are good, but I could use a little more of that. I could use a little more of this. And I wish this could change and that could change. And God, God, don't take a break because uh, you got more to do for me. <laughs> David looks up to God in Psalms 23. And if you follow his life, it was an easy life. Come on. You read the book of Kings and 1st, 2nd Kings. Read 1st, 2nd Samuel. Read about David's life. This is an amazing statement that David is so full of thanks that he says to God, God, I have all that I need. Uh, I, I read the following quote recently, and it, it said, the, it talked about the fact that there are, and I, and I really agreed with it, like 1,000%, that there are three ways that we get stuck in life. 
Number one is getting focused on things we can't control. Number two, getting focused on things we don't have. Number three, getting focused on the past or the future. Thankfulness has to be in the now. Some of us are never in the now. And so, and some of us are, we, we feel totally out of control because we're trying to control what we can't control. We're focused on what we don't have and we're focused on the past or the future. And so we never are in the moment. That's what Sunday morning, I believe, is supposed to be for us. I think, what, I think it's what corporate worship is supposed to be. It's supposed to be when you finally shut everything out and you have a now moment with God. The Bible says now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I think maybe that's a play on words to say that it has to do with the context I'm, or the context I'm forcing it in. But nevertheless, we should come in here on Sunday morning and it should be that time when we say, you know, nothing matters but God and Jesus and the presence of God and I'm going to shut everything out. And then we begin to live it's even better if we incorporate it into our lives. I have all that I need is the most declarative statement in the whole Bible of a commitment to live a life of thanksgiving and thankfulness. By the way, the 23rd Psalm, we will hear it quoted at funerals, but it's not a psalm to die by. It's a psalm to live by. It's a regular, this is important. I hope you can hear me. It's a regular, repeated narrative, cyclical narrative of your life. In other words, your life repeats the 23rd Psalm over and over again. And if you get it right, you will cut grooves of gratefulness into your life. And you will get rid of grooves of worriness, worry and fear and doubt and rage and all those toxic emotions. If you begin to cut the grooves, that, that, that life is cyclical and, and, and there's a narrative that occurs over and over again. It's also what it looks like to completely embrace, holistically embrace Jesus Christ as both your Lord and Savior. That's what it looks like. The 23rd Psalm is what it practically looks like to have Jesus as Lord of your life. Now, let's go through it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That may seem like an offer of serenity, but it is. But it's also a surrender of our control of the pace and direction of our lives. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. On one hand is assuring, but it's also a clear declaration that the purpose of my life is to exalt Jesus. The purpose of my life is to exalt him. And so David says that. He, he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So this is not all about me. It's about him. And then he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now that's a statement that says, in my most difficult hours, I'm most thankful for Christ's faithful presence. And it overshadows even the terror of death. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies means I am overwhelmingly grateful that I'm invited to the Lord's table of fellowship when the world rages against me. The result is my cup overflows. Now, some of us going through that trajectory of life that I just took you through, that narrative of life that I just took you through, that you all go through over and over again and re, you know, wash, rinse, repeat in your life over and over again. Many of us get to the end of that cycle and we say, I am empty. I'm worn out. I'm done. I'm, 
I'm, I am angry. I am bitter. You know, I am, I, I, am in, I am enraged. But David gets to the end of the cycle and says, he anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, do I take the negative in my life personally? Do I take it all personally? That'll get you stuck. Do I take it all as pervasive? You know, that's what we do. Something bad happens and my whole life is terrible. So it's everything's, everything, everything's crap. Yeah, because this one situation going badly for you. And the third thing we do is we, we see everything as permanent. We take, it, we take it personal. The whole world's against me. Like the whole world actually even thinks about you. <laughs> I sometimes laugh at people who talk about how the devil's attacking them. I say, boy, you must be pretty important. <laughs> that the big, dev, the big D, he, he, he doesn't care about Putin or, or Hamas. He's coming to talk. He, you're a, such a threat. <laughs> I think it's a minor demon. I think it's a low-level demon that's harassing you and I. Don't you think? We take everything as pervasive, and we take it as permanent. Those expressions of thankfulness and praise simply cannot be... You know, here's the thing about David. This was not the forced confessions of a hostage. Remember the Vietnam War when they brought those hostages on and, and they were forced to say how well they were being treated? And you could tell, you, I mean, anybody could tell by looking at their facial expression, their body language, their, you could tell it was a lie. You could tell they were being forced. And some people are like that with praise. Hallelujah, anyhow. Yes. <laughs> Yes, God is good. I know, life, life sucks, but God is good. <laughs> you know, they're like, that, they're like that hostage about North Vietnam. That's not what's happening here. Now, now that, that's not, the, by the way, I'm not opposed to that. Sometimes you just have to white knuckle it and get through, and it's better to say praise, and it's better to give thanks than the other. So I'm not opposed to white knuckle praise. But that's not what's happening in the 23rd Psalm. That's not, what he, that's not what's happening here. And, and also, it's not glassy-eyed uh, parroting of phrases by a brainwashed cult member. I mean, I won't, I won't go off in why I, know that's tr- why I know that's true as I read this text. This is not merely, I've learned to thank God in spite of my circumstances. But this is one. Now, this, this, I think this is really important. Maybe it's not. Maybe I just am deluded. I think this is really important. That David is saying to us, in spite of my circumstances, David is saying, I'm experiencing God's blessings and faithful presence in every single circumstance of life. And it's leaving me with an it's leaving me with an overflowing cup of joy and it's leaving me so bonded to the Almighty that I want to live forever with Him. 
This is an individual who understands that exalting the Lord alongside the real struggles and the pain of normal life results in getting to experience God right alongside the suffering and stress of existence. Furthermore, God's faithful presence overshadows and defeats everything the adversaries throw throw at us. You see, when we fell in the Garden of Eden, we created an alternative kingdom. And it was called the kingdom of man, the kingdom of self, the city of man, as Augustine called it. We created an alternative kingdom. And because God had given us authority to rule the world, he was not able to just take it back or he would be a liar. So he gave us authority to create this alternative kingdom, and he wished us luck. But he did not demolish his kingdom. So what the Christian life is about, it's about that dual citizenship in the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And what God promises me, God does not promise me anywhere that the kingdom of God will, will take dominion and, and the kingdom of man and the kingdom uh, that, that's ruled by the devil, by the way, that kingdom will never, never interfere in my life and afflict me. In fact, he over and over says, it will, it will, it will. It's not in fine print. It's in bold print. It's headlines in the scripture. But what he promises me is my kingdom will break through constantly. Consistently, my kingdom will break through into the kingdom of man and show my love, my power, my grace, and, and my goodness and, my, and, and give you future hope. Amen. But, as the psalmist has demonstrated, you get to choose your fullness. You get to choose what you'll be full of. When you pull up to the fuel tank of life, there are... There are basically two fuels, just like when you go up to the fuel tank uh, with your car. And, of course, the, the EVs is messing up uh, metaphors terribly. I'm not sure how to do <laughs> You know, preachers said we have to adjust our metaphors every few years because technology changes them. But we'll stick with the old metaphor of g- gasoline and diesel. You have those two choices. When you go to the pump, you have two choices. And if you, if you have a diesel, then you better put diesel. That's what it's made to run on. And if you have a, a gasoline car, you better put gas in it. And I believe when you go to the fuel pump of life, you have to choose thankfulness or resentment. I think that's your two choices. You're going to choose thankfulness or you're going to choose resentment. Rhonda, you and I talked yesterday. Rhonda's father went to be with the Lord this week, and of course, we're all we're joking around because he, he believed in a doctrine called soul sleep, uh, and 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 to me, it doesn't matter if I if I sleep in my next waking moment is with Jesus, that's fine. It doesn't matter. But we know that he he he, he, he we hope he's awake in the presence of God right now. That's what we hope. But 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 what a good man this man was. What an amazing man. Just really, really an amazing man. And um, and. Someone who chose, I, I would say, Rhonda, he chose thankfulness through all the ups and downs of life. Even, even when he, he had this degenerative brain disease that finally took his life. He was 90 years old, so he lived a full life. But it, and and uh, I wasn't as there as much as I should have been, I'll admit. But when I went... He, he would want to talk about my sermon that he heard the Sunday before. And he could barely, he barely, 
had very difficulty even getting any words out. And, but he was, he was focused on the Lord is my shepherd, not I am suffering. It's really amazing. He, he was amazing. He's an amazing person. And um, I, I know one of my favorite stories about this, this, uh, this gratefulness and, and, and alongside God's presence alongside suffering is, uh, is uh, Robin, uh, Robin Rill, I think you're here. Robin, are you here? Uh, uh, Robin Rill's, my, oh, there you are, Robin Rill's. I know I've told this story a bunch of times, but it's just, it's just my favorite story about this. It, it, it was such an amazing story that I'm sitting at home that, that morning, uh, the day your mother passed, and, and, I, and I'm listening to a sermon by Louis Giglio uh, uh, based on the quote by C.S. Lewis that said, Suffering is a megaphone of hope to a, to a dying world. And which he, he made a lot of sense out of it, but God was about to illustrate it for me in a way that I will never, ever forget. And I, I get the call that the, from someone, I don't remember who, but maybe, maybe it was a secretary, that, that, that Robin's mother, who'd been a choir director, that's part of the story uh, at the church you guys were part of, Right? In Oxford, and uh, I go there, and this big—it was, was a huge room, uh, and I, there must have been 20 people in that room. And she has the ma- um, oxygen mask on. And she actually pulls it off when I walk in. She said, "Well, Pastor, I'm uh, uh, party's nearly over." <laughs> that was her word. The party's nearly over. I said, "Oh, for you, it's about to start." And the—I don't remember Robin exactly how it happened, but the whole room began to sing that song, that song that was written by a man who had his wife and three daughters go down in a, in a, in a, 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 a sinking of a ship. And he got on that same ship, and when he got to that spot, the captain stopped and told him, and he wrote this song, It Is Well With My Soul. And that hospital room that day, all those people were, were her choir, and they began to sing, It Is Well With My Soul. And it reverberated down the walls of, of, uh, of uh, UMass Hospital. And I said, oh, that's what C.S. Lewis meant. In the face of death, you're singing it as well with my soul. That's what it means to be thankful. Amen? Amen? The Greeks figured out that nature reports the vacuum. Let, let me give you three quick, three quick bullets here. Your heart will not tolerate emptiness. You always find a dominant emotion. You will always find a dominant emotion to rule your heart. You will either, it'll either rule by, by gratitude and joy and peace, or it'll be, it, will be, it will be ruled by some form of resentment. It may look different in different people, but some form of resentment. Passive-aggressive, aggressive-aggressive, it's going to look like something that's not, that, that's not going to work well for you. See, God cares about you. He does. Secondly, your communication... Well, I, I meant to talk about the, the, the Greeks, ancient Greeks, came up with this idea that nature pours a vacuum, vacuum and... I had a whole bunch of illustrations, but I won't take the time. You know that you know the deal. You know how how you know even even plants. I'll give you one example. A plant 
loses its, loses its moisture through evaporation. But that creates a vacuum inside the plant because it's now empty. And it sucks water up from the soil below. That's how, that's how we're, we're designed that when we're empty, something rushes in to fill that void. And there's so many illustrations of that in that I could go to in the culture today, in the world today. You cannot, have, you cannot, have, you cannot operate with, with emptiness. You're going to be full of something. And I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> we, won't, we won't go there. <laughs> You're going to be full, man. You're going to be, and so uh, your heart will not tolerate emptiness. The second bullet is your communication will be the overflow of your heart. What is the overflow of your deepest thoughts? Ultimately, you will, you will communicate. You will speak out of the overflow of your heart, out of the abundance of the heart. The Matthew 12, 34 says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's an amazing thing. You, uh, you, so you're not a thankful or grateful person just because you have a daily devotion in which you take a few moments to give thanks. That's a good thing. But we're talking about a transformed heart. I, I've known some, some uh, uh, quiet-time Nazis that weren't grateful. <laughs> they would not miss their ritual devotion, which is a good thing, by the way. But, but, their, but the overflow of their life in their heart was not a, a praise and thankfulness. Finally, thankful speech will make everyone around you better. See, God doesn't command you to do something just for him. He never, he's not capable of that. God is love. And so he is not capable of ever asking you to do something that's just for him. It's not capable of that. The mythical gods that the Greeks exalted were like that. Zeus and all those guys were like that. They were just like, whatever works for me, whatever works for my deity, God never ever, God is not capable of doing anything selfish. He is only capable of doing that which works for you and works for him. Win-win with God. Always, always. And so... Uh, Thankful speech will make everyone around you better. For uh, a 2011 study by Robert Emmons and Ajela Mashara found that people motivated are motivated and energized when they experience gratitude. And they also found that gratitude encourages them to make progress toward their goals. A 2009 study led by, the Nathaniel Lambert, by Nathaniel Lambert suggests that gratitude leads people to believe they deserve positive outcomes for themselves and are capable of achieving. There have been several student, student uh, uh, studies of, of students that if students are told they are smart, they do better than when they're, told they're, when they're not told they're smart. When they're told they're capable, they do better. Some of us are trying to make... We're trying to fix our spouse and other people around us. We're trying to fix them with our words of correction. We're trying to fix them with words of shame. We're trying to fix them with words of, of disagreeable words. But you will not be successful with your spouse or any intimate partner in your life if you do not feed them thankfulness. See, relationships operate on the principle of reciprocity. A relationship, an intimate relationship, can only operate in, in the, within the principle of reciprocity. Reciprocity meaning give, receive, give, receive. And so in a, in a, a personal, I'm talking about a very personal, intimate relationship, if one person 
only receives praise and doesn't give praise, eventually that person who's only giving praise will shut down. There's no other way around. I don't care how spiritual they are. I don't care how much they have a thankful life toward God. Within the context of that relationship, they will not be able to continue. In intimate relationships like marriage, reciprocity is absolutely necessary. You can't have intimacy without reciprocity. And that's a, that's a huge principle. I hope you'll go think about it and go study it. Those of you who want things to be better, but you're just waiting on the, well, them to change. It doesn't work like that. We are transformed. Praise is not a silver bullet. And thankfulness is not a silver bullet. But it's certainly one of the bullets in the gun <laughs> that you have to use. Uh, the people around you, see, will only remember some of what you said, but 100% of them will remember 100% of how you made them feel. I said, the people in your life will only remember a little bit of what you said, but 100% of them will 100% remember how you made them feel. Make people feel that you're grateful for them if you want things to get better. I don't care how godly you are. If you have to remain in a close proximity with someone who never expresses gratitude toward you or for you, it will crush your soul. And you will not be able to continue to reciprocate gratitude in a relationship that never gives it. Let me give you a bunch of scriptures. Gracious words are honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Do not let any unwholesome talk out of your mouth, but that which is helpful for building others up. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So you get that backward. Some of it's full of salt, seasoned with grace. Salt is truth in this context. Salt is truth. So you, you have to sprinkle truth in, in your conversation. But it has to be full of grace. If you want to have success, how many of you want to have success? Or how many of you want to be losers? <laughs> some, of, some of you are singing John Mayer's song, I'm waiting on the world to change. <laughs> God is waiting on you to change. Not the world. The world ain't going to change, but you can. It's a lot easier, by the way, to change you than the whole world. <laughs> I try, I've tried it for years to try to change the whole world. Thankfulness is the freedom of every individual to live in joyfulness. Think about it. And, I, and I'm really sorry I don't have much time left because this is such a, a, a huge point with, with being full, full of fullness. Think about it. Psalms could have written about the journey from the lowlands, because he's talking about a journey where the shepherd would take the sheep in the summertime in the lowlands, the grass would turn brown, so he would take them to higher elevations where the grass was green and the air was cool. So he's talking about this journey that would occur every year of their life. He could, he could have focused on the brown grass and the, and the heat and, and, and the disruption of having to change there was a disruption of the flock and the constant search for grass on the way. He could have focused on the past moving waters that, you, you know, he says he makes his life down. He, he, he leads me beside still waters. Did you know the waters weren't still when they got there? 
Sheep hate fast-moving waters. So the shepherd would take and dam up a section of a brook so the sheep could go down and wouldn't be frightened because if they get into fast-moving waters, they're going to drown. So he would prepare a pool for them where they could go and drink and be refreshed and they'd get full and they would lay down. And that's what that t- scripture's talking about. And, and, but, but, but David could say, oh, no, those rushing waters are so scary. He could have written all about that. He could have written about the rod as an instrument of discipline, which it was at times. But he said, no, the rod and staff, they comfort me. It's all about the story you tell yourself. I said, life is all about the story you tell yourself. He, he didn't give the enemies even a single verse. He didn't give his adversaries, his opponents, his critics, even a single verse, but chose to sing about the table of fellowship of the Lord's faithful presence in the presence of the enemies and the healing oil of anointed poured on his head to cure the sheep of of terrible insect bites and heal the wounds that happened as they went through the brush and act as a repellent to future future pests. That's what he focused on. That's the story he told. See, and we have no idea what the other sheep were doing. He wasn't alone in this journey, by the way. There were other sheep in this journey. But I know people, and I can promise you that some of them were singing a different song. I can promise you that some of the other sheep would have written a different song than the one David wrote. You must learn to live in the knowledge that your spiritual journey is both communal and individual. David remained in unity with the flock without losing a clear sense of separated self. David remained an individual in the midst of a community. He remained a victorious individual in the midst of a community that may not have been in victory, that may not have been in gratefulness, but David was a holy rebel in the midst of a community that was probably complaining and griping and bitter and resentful about the rigors of the journey, but David was an individual. He drew a circle around himself and said, in, the, in this circle, there's going to be gratefulness. In this circle, there's going to be thankfulness. In this circle, there's going to be a spiritual revival even if the rest of the flock is mad and angry and bitter all the time. Now that's an amazing... There's this... Uh, Victor Frankl said everything can be taken from a man, but one last thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Now there's a man who spent uh, five, four or five years in Nazi concentration camps had his entire family die in the concentration camps. That's the context of him saying that. Now there's, there's this amazing snapshot of David. I'm talking about David maintaining a, a personal decision that I'm going to be a person of praise, even if the people sitting on either side of me refuse to go along. There's a beautiful snapshot that this is how David thought in Psalms 36. It was, it was when David and his men and his, had established a camp in a place called Ziklag. And they came home to Ziklag one day. The village had been burned to the ground. All their stuff had been destroyed. And their women and children had been taken hostage. And to make matters worse, the men threatened insurrection against David. And blamed David for what had happened. Here's the verse I want to leave you with today. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all people were grieved. Every man for his son and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself.
in the Lord his God. Wow. Wow. I want the prayer partners to get in place because some of you need to be prayed for today. You need to come and ask the Lord to give you an attitude adjustment. You need to come and ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Some of you think thankfulness is forcing yourself to say positive things that most others won't say. But that's really not it. That's really not it. That's that white knuckle praise that I talked about earlier. Thankfulness is knowing what other people don't know. And seeing what other people can't see. Thankfulness is seeing the shepherd and not the shortcomings and not the stress. Not just your life, but what he's making of your life. Jesus, final address before he left to die and before he left to go back to heaven. Both times, and I'm talking about passages from John 14 to John 16 and Acts chapter 1. Both last final appearances of Jesus before he was to die and before he was to go back to heaven ended with a command for us to go get filled with the Spirit of God. What could be more confirming of the power of fullness? Now, I want us to stand. I think this simple request is that you would all, what would happen if all of God's people would say, God, fill us with your spirit? You know, there's all kinds of things I care about. I care about, I care about doctrine. I care about faith. I, I care about all kinds of things that are important. But what if Jesus seemed to elevate that to the most important thing is what kind of spirit I'm full of. He seemed to elevate that to anything, political correctness, doctrinal correctness. I'm not saying those things aren't important or don't matter. They do. But Jesus seemed to prioritize it, it, it's, it, it's telling to me that it, preparing his church to get established and go to the world, he did not, he did not send them to some cognitive uh, training thing or, or seminar or webinar or, or three years of seminary type training. Now, he'd done that, by the way. I mean, so, so I'm not, I'm not d- diminishing that. But he felt the most important thing and my, in fact, it's very it's proven. His disciples were not prepared. They were not prepared. They, they were taught by Professor Jesus himself. So they, were, they had a good education. But they were not prepared to face the world until, until they were full of God's Spirit. So I want to invite you to ask God to fill you with not only his knowledge, but his Spirit today.